Welcome to Victory Today. I am so glad that you've joined us because we're going to look today at a major hindrance to breakthrough and victory in our lives. And that is embracing a performance mindset. That's what we're going to talk about today, a performance mindset. You know, this is something that I've wrestled with and I know that a bunch of you can relate to, but as we're going to see today, having a performance mindset will not only derail your faith, it'll also cause pain and disappointment. It'll prevent you from enjoying the victory that you're waiting to enjoy. So let's talk about what a performance mindset is and why it's so hard to walk in victory when you're a believer who's addicted to performing. But just before we dive into that, if you are new to this podcast, I want to encourage you to go back to the very start of these broadcasts and begin there. You know, this is the 11th episode of Victory Today, but each podcast is designed to build on the one before it. So it's pretty important that you start at the beginning. Now, I realize that when you're listening to a news-related podcast, you want to hear that day's release or that week's release, but these messages, they're not like that. We're talking about faith life principles here, and these are going to work irrespective of what is happening in the world or what season it is, okay? So friend, I'm saying to you today, the word of God is what we're on about, and that's relevant every day. It's relevant in any season. Doesn't matter what the economy is like or the weather is like or what you've got on your to-do list. So if you have missed the past 10 episodes, please go back and have a listen. But if you have already heard them, just to refresh your memory, we've been talking lately about what the good news really is all about. And that is that God sent Jesus to obliterate sin and completely restore the relationship between himself and mankind. That's why it's called the good news. Amen. We've talked about the fact that because sin was dealt with once and for all on the cross of Calvary, sin just isn't an issue for God anymore. And because of that, there's no blockage, no barrier between us and God. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he's not angry with us. He's not displeased with us. He's not sending all kinds of bad things our way to punish us. No, God's wrath over man's sin has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And as a result, friend, you and I are now in right standing with him. As I said, that is a radical and an awesome truth. And so many people just quite simply don't understand that. And that's because oftentimes they're confusing the way that God dealt with people under the Old Testament law with how he responds to us today. But that is wrong. See, although God doesn't change, the way he deals with people does change. And when we look into the word of God, we see very clearly that there was a season from Adam to Moses where there was no law. And God interacted with people in a certain way. It was primarily through his mercy. You see that over and over and over again. There's no law. And so God interacts with people on the basis of his mercy. That was from Adam to Moses. Well, then there was a period from Moses to Jesus where God dealt with people according to the law. But with the coming of Jesus, everything changed. And now we're in what's called the age of grace, where we don't get what we deserve, 
but instead we get what Jesus deserves. And that's good news. So you have to understand that even though God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the way that he interacts with humanity down through the ages has changed. And that is very, very important because if you don't recognize that, you might be trying to apply certain principles that quite simply don't apply to you in this age of grace. You say, what are, we, what are you talking about, Andrew? I don't really understand that. Well, let me give you a couple of very simple examples. If you remember, right back in Genesis chapter 4, very early in the creation story, we read about how Cain killed his brother Abel. Do you remember that? It wasn't an accident. It was a calculated, cold-blooded murder. Cain, according to the Bible, knew exactly what he was doing. He knew in his conscience that it was wrong to kill his brother, but he did it anyway. And if you know the account, you would know that God confronts Cain. And he declared that as a result of his actions, Cain would be banished from the land and he'd remain a fugitive for the rest of his life. Well, understandably, Cain was a little freaked out by that. And so he responded by saying, but God, everyone's going to know about this. And as a result of this, they're going to hunt me down and kill me. And so God, in his mercy, the Bible said, put a mark on Cain. And he declared that anyone who touched Cain would have to answer to him directly. And obviously it wouldn't go well for them. And so this mark that was put on Cain was to protect him, to, to, to put protection over his life so that people didn't come after him for vengeance. God showed mercy to Cain. Well, then after Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai, he, he shared it with the people. We read in Numbers chapter 15 about this guy who was gathering sticks for a fire on the Sabbath. He was grabbed by the people, the Bible says, and he was brought before Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, this man must surely be put to death. And so they took him outside the camp and they stoned him. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Here's Cain, who murders in cold blood his own brother. And God not only allows him to live, but he marks him as a sign of his divine protection making sure that nobody will ever touch him for the rest of his life. And yet here's some other guy just going out on a cold morning, gathering sticks for a fire. And God says, that guy must be put to death. Now, what's going on there? Did God change? No, Cain and Abel lived before the law. Okay. And there was no law. There was no commandment given regarding murder at that point. And so, as I said, God showed mercy to Cain. But once the law was given, everybody knew that you didn't work on the Sabbath, that it was a holy day, that it was reserved for God. And so because this guy broke the law and he did what everybody knew to be wrong, the punishment was really severe. Does that make sense? My point here is that God didn't change, but he did interact with people differently in the season before the law and once the law was given. But as I said, if you don't recognize that there are huge differences between living in the age of grace that we get to enjoy and life under the law or even life before the law, you're going to get yourself seriously messed up as you read the scriptures. You know, just this morning, 
I was reading in my quiet time from Psalm 51 and verse 11. It's a well-known passage of scripture. David says, don't cast me, Lord, from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, that was a legitimate prayer for David to pray. Because before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon people for a time. He came upon them for a task. You see that right through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit comes upon people for a time or a task. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. Aside from Jesus, obviously. People weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit back then. The Holy Spirit came and he went. And so it was right and legitimate for David to pray that way. But it's not right for you and I to pray that today because the Holy Spirit has already taken up residence inside of us. He lives in us. Amen. He infills us. He indwells us. He resides in us. And friend, he is not going anywhere. Praise God for that. So even if today you feel as though the Holy Spirit has left you, because of maybe the way that you've been living or you just today feel distant from God for whatever reason, that doesn't change the fact, friend, that he is right there inside of you 24-7, ready to empower you, to quicken you, and to flood your life with his power. And so for you to pray today and come before God and say, oh God, don't cast me from your presence. I know I did a silly thing yesterday, but please God, don't cast me from your presence. That'd be wrong. That's an incorrect prayer because God has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. It would be wrong to pray. Oh Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and the church age began, you and I are blessed, as I said, to have the Holy Spirit not just anointing us for ministry, but indwelling us. But even more than that, for you to say, oh God, please don't cast me from your presence. That also shows that you don't understand what we've been talking about lately, which is that your sin is no longer a problem for God. And that God is not going to remove you from his presence because you sin, because you mess up, because you make a mistake. No, that was the case back under the law. But now, because of Jesus, the Bible says you can come boldly into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy and help in a time of need. How can you do that? Well, because according to Romans 5 verse 2, you and I have access by faith into this grace, the Bible says, in which we now stand. In other words, we've been granted access, access into the most holy place, access to the grace of God through faith. It's not our good works. It's not performance that grants us this access. It's our faith, which takes hold of all that God has provided by his grace. So Jesus has settled the sin issue, not just for us, but for everyone. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, listen to it. It says, and he, talking of Jesus, is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay? So God, in his grace, has provided 
salvation for everyone. But that doesn't mean that everyone is saved. Well, why not? Well, because even though Jesus has made the payment, each individual person must receive it. Every person who wants it must appropriate it by faith. They must reach out, take a hold by faith of what God has already provided by grace. Otherwise, it may be a done deal, but it's not going to make any difference in their lives. It may have already been achieved for us on the cross, but it won't take effect in a person's life until they receive it by faith. But Here is where religious performance comes in. People respond to God's grace with faith and they receive their salvation. But then what people do is they so often fall into the trap of thinking, oh, okay, so I'm a Christian now. Well, now I need to pray and I need to fast and I need to study the Bible. I need to tithe. I need to attend church every Sunday. I need to get into a small group. I need to do all of those things in order for God to bless me for God to use me, in order for God to answer my prayers or heal me of this disease. And so even though we are saved and we're on our way to heaven and we've received the awesome gift of grace by putting our faith in Jesus and in effect recognize, you know, we're basically saying, God, I realize I couldn't ever be good enough in my own strength. I know that. I know I would never attain your perfect standard. I need a savior. We, We recognize that. At that point of salvation, we we accept that. We realize that it's all because of him and it's nothing that we do. But having come to him in faith, we can very quickly revert back to that old legalistic mindset where we're trying to perform to get God to move in our lives. And I'm here to tell you today that this kind of thinking, it is absolutely widespread across the body of Christ today. It's being taught in our churches and man, libraries could be filled with the books that have been written about it. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon. It's been happening since Paul's day. In fact, in Galatians 5 verse 2, he says that if you're living this way, then Jesus will profit you nothing. Some other translations say Christ will be of no value to you. He'll be of no advantage to you. He'll be of no benefit to you. And truth be told, that is the way that a lot of Christians today feel. They're they're born again, but having Jesus in their life is of no discernible benefit. And that's because... They can't get healed. They're lacking in joy. They're struggling financially. They're they're plagued with fears and anxiety. And as a result, they don't really have a passion for the things of God. So what's the problem? Friend, it's not that Jesus doesn't have the power. It's that people have fallen for the lie of the devil and believed that God isn't moving in their lives because they are unworthy, because they're not good enough. Because they haven't done enough. They haven't given enough. They haven't prayed enough. They haven't fasted enough or whatever it is. It's not that people doubt God's ability. It's that they doubt his willingness. They think that they have to earn God's favor because they're not living the way that they should. And so in their minds, God is still holding their sins against them. Now, if that's a little too close to home for you today, 
I want to encourage you, just relax, take a deep breath. We have all been there, okay? This idea of grace as undeserved favor is a really tough concept to wrap your brain around because you and I, friend, have grown up in a society where you don't get anything for nothing, but you do get rewarded for effort, for performance, right? And so we carry that over into our faith life And it really messes us up. That's how we limit God and his blessings in our lives, by connecting what he can and will do to our worth, to our value, and to our performance. Friend, Hebrews 9 verse 12 says that Jesus entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He entered once And he achieved everything necessary for sin to be wiped out once. He doesn't go back in there again and again. Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross every time you make a mistake, every time you sin. He paid the price, the Bible said, once and for all. That's why it says he obtained eternal redemption for us. It wasn't some kind of short-term redemption until you and I mess up again, and then he needs to go back to the cross. No, it was eternal. I'm saying today that too many of us in the body of Christ have fallen for the lie that every time we sin, it's a new affront against God. And so because all of us mess up on a regular basis, our own hearts are condemning us and we feel so unworthy and we've got no confidence anymore that God loves us or that his presence will go with us. We're convinced there's no way that he'd want a fellowship with us the way that we've been living. Man, he's certainly not going to want to answer any of our prayers anytime soon. And so because of that mindset, because of that faulty thinking, we do the only thing that we know to do. We make promises to God, we plead and we beg and we fast and we pray extra hard and we read his word and we go to church twice a Sunday and we give money to the poor and anything else we can think of to try and perform our way back into God's good books. But friend, if you get what I've been teaching lately, this truth is going to set you free because you're going to realize that even though you and I do not deserve anything, the good news is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. I said it before, because of Jesus, our sins, past, present, and future sins have already been forgiven. The moment we were born again, we became as forgiven as we will ever be. In our spirit, we are as holy, as clean, as pure as we will ever be. In fact, we are right now in our spirit as holy as Jesus is. That's what 1 John 4 verse 17 declares. And so when we get a revelation of that, it just takes the pressure right off. Does that make sense to you? That there's no need anymore for us to perform, to try and make God do anything or to get back into his good books. Because friend, we are always in his good books. We are heirs to the promise. We are his beloved. I'm saying today that God isn't disappointed with us. He's not holding sin against us. He loves us. And nothing that we can do for good or for bad is ever going to change that. 
And so instead of performing to try and get him to move in our lives, what we can do now, once we get a revelation of that, is we can rest. We can rest in the assurance that whatever we do, God is going to love us regardless. And once you get that, man, the pressure just comes right off. Living for him becomes a joy. It's not a burden anymore. You start activating your faith. You start receiving all that Jesus has made available to you. And we'll talk a whole lot more about that next time. But if you've got a moment, I would love to hear how these messages have been helping you. Let me know about the journey that God's got you on right now. How have you overcome that performance mindset in your life? What are you doing each day to step out in victory? Email me, andrew at newbulbministries.com. And I would love to hear what God's doing in your life. Also, you can check out our additional teaching resources and books and missional projects in Cambodia, ways in which you can partner with us to help get these messages out. Find out all about that at newboldministries.com. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll always know when there's a new episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review or a five-star rating. That really helps others to find this podcast victory today. Well, have a great week and I'll talk to you again real soon.